Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, William Sosenberg will join us to discuss Heart of a Lion. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Thanks for tuning in with us this week. With us today, we have William Sosenberg, and he has written an awesome book called Heart of a Lion, A Lone Cat's Walk Across America. This is his latest book, and it was published in 2016. William, why don't you say hello to our audience? Hi, everybody, and hi, Christy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Pleasure. A known author of other books on wild predators. He's done some screenwriting as well. So William's book conveys an incredible story about a mountain lion and its journey across the states. William, would you like to explain to our readers a bit more about where this journey starts and ends? Sure thing. Yeah, this was uh, this was a journey that began, we think, um, somewhere around the late summer, early fall of 2009, and originating from the Black Hills of South Dakota. Uh, now, we know this because we were able to, uh, you know, we gathered DNA evidence um, of this animal and then traced it to its, its home population. And so we do have a good idea of where and when he, he departed from, which is really a, an interesting and, and vital part of this story because, again, if, if you know anything about mountain lions is that they're very secretive animals and we oftentimes only get really brief glimpses of them at, at all. We have scientists who've been in the field for many, many years and never even seen the animals. And so this is a real boon to be able to get uh, gather DNA evidence of this animal so that we could trace its journey. But basically what happened was that this animal took off, like I say, sometime late uh, late summer, early fall of 2009, and started mm-hmm. ma- his, making his way east um, and wound up after two years, and I don't want to give the entire story away, but uh, mm-hmm. in, across the entire uh, two-thirds of the, uh, of the United States, which, uh, as it turns out, is the longest recorded journey of, of an animal of this species ever recorded. Wow, that's amazing. In Chicago recently, there have actually been some reports of a cougar sighting. Have you read anything about that? Yeah, you know, I was when when I understood that we would be talking, I just did a little poking around, and sure enough, just a couple of days ago, the Chicago Tribune was reporting mm-hmm. about uh, a sighting from somebody that said they saw absolutely sure what they thought was a, a mountain lion, and that was uh, kind of came on the heels of another sighting just a few days and miles before, and so... Um, you know, there was there was warnings, you know, watch your pets, be careful on the trails mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and this is the sort of thing that happens, it seems, anymore a lot more frequently where we get a lot of these sightings. Um, we've had hundreds upon thousands of sightings of uh, supposed sightings, I should say, of mountain lions in places where really they're not supposed to be. I'll uh, just back up a little bit and tell you something about the, the natural history of these animals, and that is that they were, they used to be coast to coast when when the European settlers landed. Uh, we had we had mountain lions all the way from uh, you know Virginia to California and, and wow. to south. Uh, but with with the colonization and and guns and agriculture and 
and whatnot, um, and a different attitude about wild animals, uh, pretty much all of the, the um, cougars east of the Rockies were wiped out. Only, only uh, a small population that was left remained in the, uh, the southern swamps of Florida. And the reason for that might be because it was just so gosh darn hard for a lot of people to inhabit that area. There just weren't enough people there to, to do away with them. So a tiny, tiny population held on there. Um, but for the most part, we eliminated this animal from most of the United States. Um, the only places that they were uh, able to maintain was in the, you know, the high recesses of the, of the mountain west. And so... Uh, the, the history of this animal has been, again, when, when most people think of a mountain lion, they think of a, of a western cat. But really, this is, this is America's cat. This animal was, was coast to coast at one time and, and uh, pretty much had the run of the continent as the major big cat in, in North America. Um, but again, that all changed. And so what we have now is that uh, any cat that you see east of the Rockies are suspect animals because, you know, we, we know mm -hmm. that they're not breeding there, and except for, again, that little tiny population in southern Florida. So uh, there's all this speculation going on about what's going on. Are these animals real? Mm -hmm. you know, these, and, uh, again, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of sightings. There's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of hoaxes. And there's a lot of people out there who like to throw up pictures of these animals and, and on, on, on the Internet and claim that they're somewhere that they're not in order to verify hoaxes. Uh, but what we do know is this, is that there are no breeding populations east of the Rockies so far. Um, but so that's a very interesting thing because when we talk about a cat potentially being, being, uh, being found in Chicago, that animal is hundreds of miles east mm -hmm. where uh, the, the nearest breeding population is, which is uh, the Black Hills of South Dakota, which is where our, our hero came from that, that this book was written about. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a couple of ideas about that. I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, wow, is it safe? You know, do we, <laughs> do we need to watch our pets? Do we need to... Um, right. Be careful where we go jogging and whatnot. But the situation is this, is that unfortunately, I mean, I, I almost wish it were different, but the vast majority of these sightings turn out to be mistaken. Um, they are either mistaken identities or they are uh, intentional uh, hoaxes, mm -hmm. as I've mentioned. Mm -hmm. They're the really rampant, the, the hoaxes are these days. Um, and even the best of naturalists have been caught uh, identifying house cats as cougars and whatnot. And wow. uh, so, you know, the, the first thing I think when I hear something like that is I'm skeptical because, again, mm -hmm. the vast majority of these, when people check into them, they find out that they are nothing of the sort. On the other hand, well, the one thing that this animal has taught me, this animal that I've written mm -hmm. about, the animal that mm -hmm. went across this country, is to never say never. Right. Uh, occasionally we do have real uh, uh, animals, lions just like this one, that are making that trip east. And indeed, mm -hmm. they do show up in places like Chicago because, and I'll mention this also, in 2008, uh, that did actually happen. A real-life mountain lion came into town, and, and you may remember it, uh, it made quite a stir. It ended up in a, in a community in downtown Chicago, and uh, a vault started running around. Um, you know, they had the police after with flak jackets running around telling everyone to get inside. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, uh, it was a live mountain lion. Uh, tragically, that the animal was shot. Um, they cornered him in, in somebody's carport, and uh, they shot him dead. You know, it was the only thing that, and, and you know, one of the things that in, in, in um, defense of the police department, who took a lot of criticism for that because the animal, again, was cornered, and he was basically just trying to get out of town, was that mm -hmm. they weren't trained for this sort of thing. I mean, how right. many cops, you know, how many Midwestern cops 
Mm-hmm. Their police training are taught how to, how to handle a, a wild mountain lion. You know, there's right. nothing in their there's nothing in their training that tells them how to read the signs of a mountain lion as, as a, you know what's a dangerous mountain lion versus what is a scared mountain lion. You know, right, right. So you know they did what they had to do, but unfortunately that cat wound up dead. And and when they took the DNA from that cat, sure enough, that cat had come from the Black Hills. And so we do know that this occasionally happens. And so that's a long-winded answer to my uh, to this recent sighting in Chicago is that I don't think it's a real cat, or it could also be, here's another option, it could be a, um, a captive animal. We know that there are mm-hmm. thousands of a- these animals being held in captivity across mm-hmm. the country, some of them illegally, some states actually allow you to do this. And what happens in a lot of these cases is that uh, people, when they're, you know, when they, when they start with this nice little pussycat that they've bought online or something, and, you know, when it gets big, they realize, wow, this thing really takes a lot of care and <laughs> a lot of money to feed every day. And besides that, they're big and kind of dangerous. And what they think they're doing good by the cat is when they find out they can't take care of it anymore, they just let it go. And so we wow. do have this other little tiny population, if you will, of cats right. running around out there that have escaped from captivity. So there's all sorts of possibilities. But I, I'm guessing, I, I, would, I would, you know, the one thing I would, I would kind of hope that this is a, um, maybe a, a real animal and that he, he gets away somewhere and, and finds mm-hmm. a nice female somewhere. But I'm guessing that this, you know, the odds are that this is just a, another one of those mistaken identities that showed up in Chicago recently. Sure, sure. And so when these types of things happened, like when it happened, in 2009, were they able to determine whether or not the cat had come from captivity? Because obviously, like, when you trace the origin, you know, the origin will be the same, but there's a high likelihood that the cat didn't just start meandering away from its home and it was actually in captivity. Is that normally the case with this type of thing? That's a that's a great question, and, and that, this is another great thing about the story of this cat. Mm-hmm. There's left so much information along the way. You know, we mm-hmm. were able to track him you know, at, at, at least nine or ten points along his journey, which in the straight line goes 1,500 miles. But when you consider the meandering, well, it was just it, it's off the charts. But, yeah, this was an animal that uh, when they, uh, they finally got a hold of him, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you, I'm going to spoil the story for you right here, is that uh, eventually after two years of traveling across the country and dodging all sorts of hazards, you know, this guy went across the Great mm-hmm. Plains, if you will, this cat that's 140 pounds. Right. You know, slinking silently across this very, very dangerous landscape of people who really don't like mountain lions and would have come running after him with guns. Mm-hmm. Um, he wound up in all places of uh, in the southwest coast of Connecticut, within you know, within uh, within sight of Manhattan. I mean, that's how close he was. Wow. He was very big, and unfortunately, he got hit by a car. You know, he was it, he just his luck finally ran out. He, mm-hmm. he he got to the Atlantic Ocean. There was nowhere else to go, and there's right. all these this this incredible knot of humanity and all these cars. And mm-hmm. uh, he, made the, he made a wrong step into the American right. Parkway and, and, got, and got creamed. And so they had the body. And when they examined the body, they, they did a necropsy, which is an autopsy on, on wildlife. They did a necropsy, opened him up, and found out that this is a, you know, a lot of times when people release captive animals, the, mm-hmm. the animals have been declawed. Very okay. the main thing to do, but they, they've been right. declawed. Or they've been, you know, they're they were fat. They've been feeding them cat chow or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This animal, this animal was lean. He was taut. He was in great shape. Mm-hmm. Um, he had he had porcupine quills in his stomach. Oh. This, yeah. And this is something that we know mountain lions do a lot. I mean, they their their primary prey is 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 large hoofed animals, so deer, mm-hmm. elk out west. 
Um, th- but also, you know, they're also very fond of porcupines. They're one of the few animals that can regularly wow. make a meal of porcupines. And so mm-hmm. um, it's not uncommon to find porcupine quills in the stomachs of mountain lions. And here was this animal that, that had just that. And so, um, yeah, there wasn't any signs. You know, he didn't have, you know, the thing they checked with the pads of his feet, where oftentimes when you have a mountain lion that's been kept in a, in a concrete pen or something like that, the pads get scuffed up. Mm-hmm. Just you know, walking around on this rough surface, it, there was none of that. There was no signs that this animal has been had been anything but a wild animal. And so, right. uh, yeah, I mean, that's when it finally dawned on these people. My God, where did this animal come from? And that's when, and it wasn't until after after they examined the animal that that they they um, went back and kind of pieced together this journey, which turned into this as <laughs> into mm-hmm. this cliche, the incredible journey. And so why would the mountain lion have done it? I mean, is there any speculation on that for a wild animal to just roam east? Another great question. Yeah. Um, Why did he go east? So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, most of the mountain lions that we know in in this country are from the Rocky Mountains west, all the way to the coast. Mm -hmm. Um, The Black Hills is situated, um, it's an island actually, just off the eastern edge of the Wyoming Rockies by about 90 miles. And and one aspect of, of cougar biology is that when the young males, uh, when the kittens, they grow up to be about a year, year and a half, they start becoming teenagers, if you will. And they start mm-hmm. looking to, you know, find their own home and find their own mate. Um, they, uh, mountain lions are uh, by nature very territorial. They all have, you know, this, this big... Uh, area of land upwards of 150 to 300 square miles um, for some of the big males that they patrol. Mm-hmm. And wow. that they have, yeah, I mean, this is, this is their life and their livelihood. This is where they find their prey. This is where they find their shelter. And this is also where they find their mates. And it so happens that the females also have territories, but they're much smaller. And so a big male will gather within his territory maybe three or four, the territories of three or four females. Mm-hmm. Which you know, in his yearly wanderings, he'll occasionally visit, mate with, and then therefore he's he's procreating his genes and and you know and and keeping uh, along the way, he's trying to keep other males out because again, this is his territory. These are his females. This is how he, um, you know, basically right. extends his his gene line. So mm-hmm. um, now the young males, when they're coming up, they've got a choice, right? They they have to make a decision when they come to an age. If they want to settle down uh, nearby and create a territory there, they have to face um, the resident male, you know. And usually, right. you know, there's a fight. And oftentimes in, in cougar society, when two m- males meet over contested ground, there's a fight. And oftentimes there's a death. They will kill each other to, uh, for, the, for the sake of the territory. That's how valuable it is. So what the young males generally do is that rather than have to face the, the, the reigning lord of the territory, which is going to be a bigger guy usually, an older guy, a more savvy guy, um, who's very likely going to kill them if not uh, mortally wound them, um, mm-hmm. they head for distant parts. You know, They just get the heck out and go to find some other place, uh, some other territory that's vacated and, tr- and try to, and try mm-hmm. to settle in there. Now, the situation with the Black Hills is really interesting because, again, it's, it's on the very edge. It's a satellite population of Rocky Mountains, if you will, on the very edge of the Cougars Range. 
And most of the ones that come out of the Black Hills, they do exactly good. They do what you, you think would be the, the, the logical thing for a cougar. They head west back into good cougar territory. Mm-hmm. But a few of them, for you know some reasons we don't understand, when it's time for them to disperse and go find their own place, they head east. And unfortunately, when you're heading east from the Black Hills, you're heading into the Great Plains. And they don't know this. All they see is a big expanse of, you know, open space, which they are mm-hmm. maybe hoping there's there's mountains on the other end of that, you know. Mm-hmm. But at least they're not running into other males. And so they head east. And this is what our this is what our hero did. He had headed east, not realizing that he he's gonna he's gonna have to go all the way to the Atlantic and then somehow yeah. find another female cougar. So he just wow. left out there. But it was just the stroke of luck that he went east. Wow. Well, you know, for whatever reason, he went east rather than west, and that is what, uh, and that's what started this incredible journey. Got it. That is an yeah. incredible journey. And so, would you say that part of what made this story so inspiring to you was the fact that he left so much behind, and that you could track his entire journey? You know, I I had actually been, you know, I, I had been following the eastward migration, if you will, of, of cougars. There are these there are attempts to recolonize the eastern half of the country for a while. Okay. Until All right. this one came up on the map and then mm-hmm. and then, you know, me and the other people who had been following this and I should I the Cougar Rewilding Foundation were the ones that I, I should mention, the ones that were most keenly following this at the time. Mm-hmm. Um when this animal wound up dead in Connecticut, everyone immediately assumed oh it's somebody's captive cat. You know, somebody let the cat out and he got run over, and that's that. You know, they just could not believe the enormity mm-hmm. of, of the alternative to this. Wow, yeah, and yeah. Then, and, and, then, and then after we all found out, when the, when the autopsy came back and the DNA came back, and they said, ah, guess what, this, this animal from the, the Black Hills, I mean, it was just like, whoa, what yeah. on earth? And so that's when I realized, I said, well, this is, the, this is a story that needs to be told. And frankly, mm-hmm. I was really surprised that it didn't. I mean, it did. It got a lot of attention, as you can imagine. I mean, mm-hmm. when a when a 140-pound mountain lion shows up on the, you know, the Merritt Parkway in, in Greenwich, mm-hmm. Connecticut, you you know, of course, that's news. But um, to me, as a as a wildlife science writer, to find out that this this animal had done such a spectacular deed, uh, just screams story right and left. And like I said, I was just surprised right. that it didn't get even more attention. So I looked at it and said, this is, you know, this is I. I wanted to do honor to this animal, the honor that he. I don't. I don't think he was. He was probably credited what what he really did. So I I decided to recreate his trip, and you okay. know, it was a, uh, you know, just a labor of love because I mm-hmm. felt that that somebody needed to speak out for this animal, and and yeah, it was. It, it was not only just a, a heroic and inspiring uh, journey that he took, but it was a boon for science because you know one of the things that made. Uh, reconstructing his journey possible was that he left all of these signs along the way. Right, you know, he right. was, you know, every 10 or 20 miles, he would, you know, somebody would see him. They'd find a footprint. He walked in front of a lot of these uh, uh, trail cameras that people leave out to look for deer and, and other game animals. And he walked in front of, you know, half a dozen of these. And so wow. we had this wonderful, like, trail of breadcrumbs, if you will, across the country, which mm-hmm. you know, was just unprecedented, um, especially when you consider that, a lot of a lot of the research done on mountain lions these days is done with radio collars and GPS, sure. and you know we sure. can walk, we can track these animals, you know, minute to minute, day to day, and know exactly where they've been. Mm-hmm. This animal didn't have any of that, and we were still able to reconstruct this journey. So, uh, it, it taught us a whole lot about mountain lions, and and not only that, but it, it gave us something to think about for those 
you know, if, if, if some of us are sitting here thinking in, uh, for good or bad that maybe mountain lions are attempting to recolonize the eastern half of the country, there's a lot of questions, right? Like, well, right. Um, you know, is, is this a dangerous thing? Is this a good thing? I mean, we're, we're all divided on this. I mean, I, I'm certainly thinking it's a great thing, but I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't understand about mountain lions and think that it's, it's a horrible, very frightening thing. Right. The one thing this animal's taught us, uh, he's an ambassador. He taught us that, look, he, he spent almost two years on the trail, and you had better be sure that this animal in that time and in all those miles that he logged, he saw a lot of people along the way who never saw him. Mm-hmm. That's one thing mountain lions yeah. are very good at is being sneaky and secretive. And he came upon a lot, of, a lot of people who never saw him. He went through major cities. He went through untowned barnyards, pastures, and corrals. We know of no incidences where he, he caused any problems for anybody. Wow. This is an animal that a lot of people would have shot on sight because they think Here's, he's a danger, and yet they don't realize that this is really not what these animals that are coming east are doing. They're not, mm-hmm. they're not coming all this way to prey on us people. I mean, right, right. they're making a very good living where they are out there. What they're doing is they're looking for love. It's a very, very touching, poignant story. Wow. And uh, they're not necessarily dangerous. Treat them with respect. Right. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, they're big cats, of course. You know, they can they can do horrible things to people, but they, they just don't, you know, except for very, very rare occurrences. And this right. guy proved it in space. I mean, again, he, he is living proof that these animals are, are not something that we need to, you know, lay awake um, you know, when night sweats about. They're just right, really right. a fascinating animal that, uh, you know, deserve our respect. Yeah, completely. And um, it's such a tragic end that he met just because he went so far. And like you said, he snuck by so many people. And it's not even like someone finally saw him and caused the commotion. It was just, you know, the chance of where he was. Well, that's it. I mean, I, I, I do. I, I see it as a tragedy, but I also see the, I, I see the, uh, the good in this story, and I, I see the hope in this story. And, and um, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure which came through stronger in, in my writing about this because there's an awful lot of bad to go with this too. I mean, the, the fact that um, the very population that that he came from in the Black Hills, they're hunting them. You know, every year there's a big hunt on them, and they're they're hunting, they would like to basically eliminate that population. They, they will tell mm-hmm. you otherwise, but they, they have a quota out there in, South, in the Black Hills of South Dakota that they haven't met now for 10 or 15 years since they started the hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and basically they're trying to shoot more cats than they can even shoot. So that tells you something that they're, they're basically trying to, uh, and, and they're, they're trying to decrease the population on this notion that, you know, this will decrease this will make humans safer and this will make livestock safer. And, and they've never attacked anybody in the Black Hills that we know of. There's wow. been a few instances of, of depredations on livestock. Yes, it happens occasionally, but it's really, you know, in the larger scheme of things, these are not mm-hmm. the things that you, you, you need to worry about. Right. Um, and so, uh, and this is happening all over the place. The other reason, you know, a lot, as I said, there's, there's actually quite a few cats that are attempting to do what this cat did to make it all the way wow. across. Right, right. Um, and they're showing up. There's, there's, there's been hundreds of confirmed sightings in the Midwest. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, on, by confirmed, I don't mean just people saying, I thought I saw one, I'm sure I saw one, my uncle saw. No, these are ones where we have, we have photographic proof, we have DNA evidence. These are, con- these are solid mm-hmm. confirmations of animals that are trying to make that. And the reason we have most of these, these confirmations is because we have dead animals. 
because right. after getting killed. I right. mean, basically what, what's going on there, we, if, if you look at some of the maps that are published, and, and, and unfortunately this is from my own profession of journalists who are publishing these, mm-hmm. you see this, this, this scattershot of dots east of the, of the Rocky Mountains that makes it look like there's this, this mass migration of cougars going on. We don't realize that every one of those dots basically amounts to a tombstone. Right. Basically animals that have been killed, not animals that have survived. Okay? Right. So uh, it's a very misleading map to show people, and, and people come away thinking, well, yeah, they're on the, here they are, they're, you know, and, yeah. or they're already here, they're living here. Well, they're not living here. We know that yeah, they're yeah, yeah. here because that's the other thing that this cat has taught us is that when there is a cat, when there's a big cat in some place strange, um, people find out about it eventually. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like these cats can can live under our noses in great numbers, you know, with, without right. anybody coming up with positive proof. So all these people who say, you know, well, I've seen them. All these people have seen them. Why can't you believe they're here? Well, all you have to do is say, show us your proof, you know. Yeah. Show us a picture. Give us some DNA. Where are the kittens? You know, if these things mm-hmm. are here reproducing, guess what? They make little ones. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Sometimes they die and they leave their bones. You know, they're right, right, right. on the highways. We know from this little population in Florida, there's, you know, there's only about 100 to 200 of cats down there in Florida now, and upwards of 20 to 30 of them are getting hit on the road every year. So we see wow. evidence. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to guess. You don't need to take somebody's word for it that there's cougars in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. They will leave sign, and you will be able to verify it. So one of the things he did is say, was say, yes, indeed. Here I come, and here's my trail. So when people right. say that they're here, and they, you, you just need to say you got to put up or shut up. And what he says, and what that's telling us is that we don't have them yet. And so for those of us like me who think that we should, because my my career in writing about predators has been to point out that we're really hurting for lack of big predators. Right. My first book was called Where the Wild Things Were, and it's all about mm-hmm. uh, the, the consequences for not having big predators in our landscape. And they're very serious, and we we've, we haven't really appreciated this until the last couple of decades through scientific research. And I think I think this animal is another one that I think this, the eastern United States is badly lacking, and there are many cases where we can see where that is. And so then in the book, you there's a phrase that you bring up somewhat often also, and you say, a war of lions versus people. So is that phrase resonant of this fear that is somewhat falsely instilled in humans based on, you know, misrepresentation of migration and misunderstanding of that, you know, is this the type of thing you were talking about with the predation on them by humans in the Black Hills? Could you just explain that phrasing that you bring up a bit more? Well, yeah, the war is is basically, again, that the, most places where we have mountain lions in the western states, mm-hmm. every state has a hunting season on mountain lions. Um, okay. And except for California. California is, is the is the is the is the antithesis to hunting a mountain lion. But, you know, and, and California also has the most mountain lions, we think, of, of any of the western states. Okay. That being wow. said, if, if a mountain lion gets in trouble in, in uh, you know, if a mountain lion is caught eating your goats or your or your llamas or something, you can have the state come in and kill the, the cat. And they do that with, with dozens or maybe a hundred a year. I'm, I'm not sure. I've forgotten. But, yeah, cats die at the hands of the authorities in California nonetheless. But mm-hmm. that being said, the, the rationale for shooting these animals in many states, some of it is it's for sport, they say, but a lot of it is is it's based on um, – human safety, 
and uh, and and safety for and, and against Got dep- it. depredation of livestock, which in in so many cases have been shown to be overblown. I mean, it's mm-hmm. basically you know it's just it's going overboard to say that these animals need to be shot to protect animals. It really is, and, right. and we've also shown, and in science has shown that that doesn't work anyway. That, that what you do when you shoot when you shoot up lions because they have a very very well uh, designed uh, uh, territorial biology about them is that they, they right. control their own numbers. You know, it's, it's really silly to, to say that we're going to control lion numbers because we're humans and we know how to do those things when, in fact, they <laughs> control their own numbers. You know, you, you don't get these things called overpopulations of lions because what happens when that happens is that they starve to death. It's a very simple process. They figure yeah. things out over the millennia. There's a reason that we still have mountain lions and elk and deer running around all over the place is because, you know, there's there's they they figured it out before we ever came around, right? So right. It's hubris to think that we're going to manage so-called quote unquote manage them to you know to our specifications. It's just it's just silliness, and this is what's going on in all of the western states. Um, so the other thing is I'd like to mention about that there are some there are some very innate reasons that some of us are afraid and have this knee jerk reaction to a big predator such as a mountain lion and and think that they're automatically dangerous and, and we should be protected against them. And that is you know we. Many, many, many years ago, back in our evolutionary infancy, if you will, um, you know, mm-hmm. we used to get eaten by big predators a lot more often. You know, when we grew up in, in the, uh, you know, the savannas of Africa, you know, we, it was a lot more common occurrence for us to wind up on, as meals for some of these big cats. And so we, we probably have a very instinctual fear of something that could quite conceivably stalk us, kill mm-hmm. us, eat us, that mm-hmm. is powerful. So there's that, but there's also some willful ignorance going on when, in fact, we, you know, with a mountain lion, we, we learn time and time again that they're just not these, these marauding individuals that they're made out to be, but yet we tend to ignore some of the best science that says, look, if you just leave them alone, that's the best course. You right. remain safe. And, you know, be aware. Be aware out there, but don't, you know, don't go shooting up a very a finely orchestrated um, mountain lion society when you create a lot of, you, you create a lot of chaos, and it's chaos, right, right. and it's young animals that are orphaned, which happens a lot when you have hunting season. You have orphans, and and there was a there was in fact there was a killing in um, uh, outside of Seattle just a few months ago. It was the oh, first wow. one in a first one in a decade, by the way. People wow. think that these things are you know like sharks, but the first mountain lion death, uh, uh, human death by mountain lion in a decade that happened uh, east of uh, Seattle just a couple months ago. Wow. Um, but, but when they examined that cat, it was, a gross, it was a young cat, grossly underweight. So something had gone wrong with this animal. He was mm-hmm. desperate. This was not a normal mountain lion that had attacked these two mountain uh, bikers. And so, again, this just, it's an, when a mountain lion attacks somebody, there's some, usually something wrong with that animal. It's Got an aberration. It. You know, this mm-hmm. is not this is not how they this is not how they operate, and so and and unfortunately, this is what's going on now when people are shooting them right and left as they're making their way across the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, these people, you know, if if you want to, and California is a very good comparison where people have been living with mountain lions there for quite some time. They found out that no, you don't need to have a hunting season for them. You know, they don't right. been intact in California in a while either, and and so people there, you know, they they have accepted. That coexistence. They live with mountain lions in the neighborhood. You know, they they just right, right, right. That it's it's you know this is this isn't you know the the Mongol hordes coming to to kill them. So mm-hmm. they they get along well with mountain lions. They they practice coexistence most of them there. But people in the Midwest haven't seen these animals for a century. 
because right. you've been wiped yeah. down for that long. So if all of a sudden a mountain lion comes walking into town and the knee-jerk reaction is when people don't know anything about mountain lions is it's here to kill us, we got to kill it first. And unfortunately that's how a lot of the law enforcement officers treat them. Not only that, they, you know, they have this, uh, they have, uh, for want of a better word, they, there's, they're ignorant about big cat behavior, but also they have this issue of liability, as you know. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they need to, you know, if, if the animal was to attack somebody, imagine, you know, who would be to blame. It would be the cops, right? So you, ha- you have to understand that, you know, that, you know, they're in a very, very tough situation. But again, a lot of it, uh, this is something that the, the cops in California handle on a daily basis. Right. When a cat yeah. walks into town, they, they'll cordon off an area and then they'll just kind of escort it away. They'll say, you'll wait until the lion goes away and say, okay, problem solved. We don't need to go in and shoot these animals up because that's not why they're here. Right. I can understand that. You've also worked on a number of screenplays and um, documentaries involving showing big cats in the wild and big predators in the wild, right? I was wondering if you could talk a bit about what it was like to write for recreation, actual visual representation of a situation versus having written this book where you do recreate the journey, but obviously it's not on film. Just compare and contrast that a bit. Well, I, I have to say it's it's a little bit easier. That if you know if you and and usually the the writing always precedes the the, the screenplays because of the, okay. the, you know the writing of books and whatnot. Right. There, all all of the uh, the screen writing that I have done has been as a result of of my my writing, if you will. You know, my sure. publishing. And Got people it. say, you know, we should do a you know we're going to do a um, a film on this. Would you mm-hmm. like to help? So it kind of it kind of falls it. in my lap. I've never right. really I've never really pursued it. But okay. um, I do like the medium. I mean, I uh, sure. the, the more and more I, I and I've, I've also been I've been on the board of a, of a film festival, the um, uh, the American Film Festival out of uh, American Conservation Film Festival out of Shepherd's cool. and I live there, and so um, I've, I've been exposed to a lot of lot of films from all different genres, and and just and just have, have realized how powerful you know the images put together with with some of these stories can be, and so. I uh, I sometimes find it easier when you've already got the image there and you you know the story that to put the two of them together because you know again the the, the image sometimes is helping to direct you whereas you know if you're just facing the blank page mm-hmm. um, it's just it's all you but if you got yeah, the yeah. footage to go with then um, you know you've got you've got some guidance there so right. yeah, from what from what I've done I, I again I would say that I I I really value the uh, I really value film, and, and, uh, and I would like to do a lot more of it in the future because I think that's that's where a, a lot of our our information is coming from. It, you know, for, for better or worse. I mean, and there's uh, thankfully there's still a lot of readers out there, but you know, you can you can do an awful lot with a five minute video. Mhm. I think you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. But with writing, has it always been something you did, or did it kind of happen later on where you started? I guess becoming interested in actually writing nonfiction books. Yeah, well, so I, I originally I, I didn't really know what I wanted to be. I knew I wanted to I wanted to work with wild animals, you know, mm-hmm. I call that. Well, so I went to school <laughs> and got a couple of degrees in the wildlife sciences. But you know, the, uh, some people go in with the idea that they want to work for a game agency and you know manage animals. But I my concern was when I first started doing work on animals is that most of my work came from uh, documenting the demise, basically, of endangered mm-hmm. species. And after a while, you know, 
several jobs of that, you realize, well, you know, all I'm really doing is, again, documenting the design, the demise. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do something more. I wanted to become an advocate. Um, right. And, uh, I'd, I'd always, I'd always enjoyed writing, and I, you know, I'd, I'd always uh, been fairly successful in my coursework on writing, and so I, I just started taking every opportunity I could to get published. You know, I took classes, awesome, yeah. and I would, I would uh, submit articles to the local paper, and you know, I took internships, you know, making two hundred dollars a week in DC, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Where, again, I just kind of pieced together this uh, career, if you could call it that. Uh, you know, based on my desires to do something more, again, than just uh, go out there and play with the animals, but do do something that might change some people's minds about them. Awesome. Well, this book certainly was a wonderful story that I really enjoyed reading. I recommend it to all of our listeners. I think you do a great job giving dignity to the journey and the animal itself, and um, obviously a really cool story that I could have never really understood you really map out all the points where you guys found evidence and theorize on just the experience of the animal and the people who never saw it. Well, thank you. That was my that was absolutely my intent to to reach people like you who, you know, may have never heard anything about him or maybe just heard this one little tiny tidbit. Oh, this animal walked from the Black Hills to Connecticut. Isn't that isn't that cool trivia? Well, there's a cool story behind that and I, I hope I conveyed that. Yeah, I think you did a great job. William, thank you so much for talking with me today. Kristen, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Of course. Rock Science, see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.